This is Rennie Kanaw for ChampionshipBBQ.tv, and you're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Yay! Let's go! We'll do it live. Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! So to get that perfect barbecue, you use wood. Are you sure it's safe? Whatever. We put the lighter fluid on, strike the match, and... Oh. Should we call the fire department? That might be a good idea. Welcome to the Really Big Barbecue Central Show. This is a show that talks about all things important to the world of barbecue and grilling. We originate from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame city of Cleveland, Ohio, the barbecue capital of the North Coast. I'm your program host, Greg Rempe. Happy to have you aboard here on your Tuesday evening's live fire fun and frivolity show. If you want to jump in tonight, boy, have you picked the right evening to dash across our phone lines or our email addresses. Here's how you do it. You can get in touch with the show by calling 216-220-0966. Email Greg at the BBQCentralShow.com. On the Twitter and Instagram, said BBQ Central Show. Everything else you want to find out about the show can be found at the main website, thebbqcentralshow.com. And here's what's happening. It's the third Tuesday of the month. And that, of course, brings our regular guest on the third Tuesday of the month, creator of the Barbecue Bible, TV show host, cooking class instructor, prolific cookbook author, and the list that goes on. Stephen Reichlin joins me in just a few short minutes. We'll be talking about a history lesson of sorts tomorrow, St. Patrick's Day. I don't know where you're at, but typically there is a huge parade for St. Patrick's Day. That, of course, has been canceled last year. Canceled. Looking ahead to 2022 for the next version of whatever downtown Cleveland St. Patrick's Day parade is going to be. I know in cities like Chicago, they dye the river that runs through the city green. We don't do anything like that because we just have the Great Lake Erie. That's really big to turn green. But there's usually a very live, rowdy, fun, although I've never been to it, but I have firsthand accounts. Parade. I'm not a big parade fan. Especially if it's really cold out and here in Cleveland in March, there's a 50-50 shot. It could be 20 or below. That's not my cup of tea. It's not my cup of tea anyway, but it's definitely not my cup of tea when it's cold. Plus, I don't drink, so you can't use the alcohol to warm you up. Excuse to go down there anyway, and it's midweek. Look, what can I tell you? I'm not very down with the Cleveland St. Paddy's Day Parade. Outside, withstanding that, it seems to be very popular here in Cleveland otherwise. But it's not happening. So we'll hopefully get a history lesson from Stephen Reichland about corned beef and about pastrami and about why we correlate those two items with St. Patrick's Day specifically. And then, of course, we will get into the nitty-gritty about how Stephen likes to do corned beef and then how he likes to do pastrami. And gun to head, 
If you were at Katz's Deli and you had to pick between the corned beef sandwich and the pastrami sandwich, which one would he choose and why? Plus some other items as well. To include dishes, you need to be cooking in March, and we're halfway through it for crying out loud, so you're going to have to race through the list in order to be current before the new list of what you should be doing in April comes out. After Stephen, we will be joined by show sponsor, a world championship steak cook himself, and the creator of some of the most popular rubs and sauces and marinades and injections and soaks out there on the market. Cosmo from Cosmo's Q rejoins the show. That'll bring the first hour to a close, and we'll move to the second hour, as I had mentioned just a few seconds ago, as Cosmo was a world championship steak cook six years ago, if you can believe it. This past weekend, the Steak Cook-Off Association held its 2021 World Championship, and wouldn't you know, I happen to line up first-timer to the show and your newest SCA world champion, Marissa Overson. Gang, would you be shocked to hear college student Marissa Overson? I'm not saying that college students can't cook. When I was in school, I figured that was the only way I was going to be able to pull women. I didn't have a very good rap. I'm not overly handsome. A number of things working against me. But I thought, hey, if I could cook, I might have a shot over and above some of the really handsome, muscular men. So that's where I really started to get into the charcoal cooking and all that good stuff. But my buddy Brandon, who was more the inside cook, we thought we could mix our skills together and have ourselves a time with the ladies. Didn't really work out that well, but that's where my spark of live fire came from initially. Fostered, of course, by my cousin Glenn, who we give thanks and praise to every time I'm asked about it. So we'll talk to Marissa about college life. We'll talk to her about winning a world championship this past weekend, what that means to her and perhaps her inspiration of a new generation of female competitive steak cooks and male competitive steak cooks for that matter. It just doesn't have to be female. And what she has planned for the rest of 2021, if she'll be going for team of the year, by the way. Uh, Sandy Brown, team of the year for uh, 2020, which was just an award just given this past weekend as well as they were celebrating past year's winner. So very excited to see what Marissa will bring to the table here this evening. And then we will close it out as we go to the bullpen and bring out one of the co-founders of the SCA and friend of this show, Brett Galloway. So we'll get more of a corporate perspective of this past weekend and talk to him about how things went last year how they recovered, because perhaps I painted a uh, incomplete picture. So he will complete it for us, and then we'll also talk about what 2021 is going to look like, all that fun stuff. So 216-220-0966, phone call if you want to jump in, greg at the bbqcentralshow.com. You can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and Snapchat at bbqcentralshow, Facebook and Twitch slash bbqcentralshow for a video feed, also you can find one this week. It's back up slash BBQ. I'm sorry, slash RD Rempe on YouTube. Here we go. A Barbecue Central Show exclusive news update. Greg Rempe reporting from the breaking news desk here in Cleveland, Ohio, the city that breaks all of the breaking news across the land. 
And I'm excited to tell you that because the governor of Ohio seems to be doing an outstanding job, I guess, as it relates to the COVID-19 pandemic, yours truly has been locked in March 29th at 3 p.m. to get his first round of vaccination. That's right. There's actually a mass vaccination center that is being utilized through the Woolstein Center on the campus of beautiful Division I school, Cleveland State University. And their big auditorium is being converted into a mass vaccination facility. It just started today, kind of a warm open. By the end of the week, the goal is to be pressing through 6,000-plus vaccinations per day. Per day. And again, that just started today. And we'll be going. So by the time I get to it in a couple weeks' time, they should have the whole process down. And I will have round one done March 29th. And then three weeks after that, I'm in for round two. Then back to making sales calls outside, baby. That's right. Because when you make them now, nine times out of ten, people look at you like you're a kook making outside sales calls. But kind of my job is to, part of that at least, is to do outside sales calls. You really get some weird looks. By the way, at the end of this month here in Cleveland or Ohio in general, 16 years of age and older will also be able to get vaccination. So while some cities are struggling to get all of this logisticalized, which I don't believe is a word at all, here in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame city, we're going to be going down to the Woolstein Center. We're going to be doing 6,000 plus per day by the end of the week. And I am locked in for March 29th. So look out. Full vax. By the time the uh, middle of April rolls around. So looking forward to that. Listener feedback from the show last week. Jeff in Ohio. Greg, catching up on the podcast from Tuesday's live airing. I thought Meathead had an especially great two segments. However, maybe you should dial back on the creep factor when referencing Kent Rollins' wife as young and beautiful. Couldn't she have just been his wife? Sounded pretty weird. Maybe that's. What happens when you get his age? Love the show. Rick Vandermulen writes, Hey, Greg, just finished the first hour this morning. You missed calling Meathead out on his Reuben. What the hell, Meathead? You don't make that sando with freaking coleslaw. Greg, perhaps the show needs to cut down on the complimentary Drakes in the green room. Wishing you fun and frivolity, Rick. Thank you, Rick. Fun and frivolity back at you. Uh, I didn't take Meathead to task because I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that he meant sauerkraut and not cold slaw. I mean, that's obviously a e- well, it's not an easy mistake to make, but I will give Meathead the benefit of the doubt after years of service to the show. Perhaps you can extend him the same courtesy, Rick, but fun and frivolity to you as well. All right, Stephen Reichlin is in the green room, and he's ready to rock. I'll talk to you quickly about Pits and Spits before we get to him. Since 1983, Pits and Spits has been handcrafting smokers and grills in Houston, Texas. In that time, Pits and Spits establishing itself as one of the premier brands in high-quality offset smokers and, most recently, pellet cookers. Pits and Spits setting itself apart by using heavy 7- and 10-gauge steel in every cooker, fully welded construction that you can feel when you use the unit, and a 304 stainless roll-top lid and front shelf on every single smoker. Why does it matter? Well, by using high-quality materials, 
You can reach and maintain temperatures more quickly, allowing you to worry more about the meat than the heat and providing a fully welded smoker. You don't have to worry about the grease or smoke leaking out of the barrel or that grill rattling apart as you move it through the backyard. And 304 stainless means you have an heirloom quality product you can pass down from generation to generation. Now, where some companies are focusing on being a low-cost provider, Pits and Spits focuses on craftsmanship and using quality materials. Are there cheaper ways to make these? Oh, absolutely. But Pits and Spits doesn't like tack welds and cheap stainless and electronics you can't trust. Having in-house manufacturing gives them c- control over the design and standards, not something you find in stuff brought in from overseas. Plus, that steel supply brought in by some of the best manufacturers in the world. So you know they're going to perform in any environment you put them in. Pits and Spits has a dealer network across the country. If you don't have one near you, give them a call at the shop, 844-650-6250. Whether you're a backyard grill master looking to cook steaks for the family or a competition team, Pits and Spits has a product for you. You can check out all their products, pitsandspits.com, all spelled out. Or you can see their Pits in the Wild across social media with their handle, at Pits and Spits. Once again, all spelled out. We are back with Stephen Reichland right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to the number one most downloaded barbecue and grilling podcast anywhere. The Barbecue Central Show. Casting live from the Barbecue Central Show studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempe. And this portion being brought to you by the Barbecue Guru, creators of automatic pit temperature control technology, sellers of ceramic cookers with built-in power draft fans and accessories to make your barbecue and grilling life easier. Visit bbqguru.com for more information or call them. 800-288-GURU. The Barbecue Guru continues to be a breakthrough in barbecue technology. All right, Central Lights, it is the third Tuesday of the month, and you know what that means, a visit from the icon of the industry. The author of Barbecue Bible, just to name one of like 30, Stephen Reichland rejoining us. Hey, Stephen. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing fabulous. Appreciate you making time, as always. So tomorrow, as we know, is St. Patrick's Day. So uh, for all of those who were anxiously going to try their hand at pastrami, if you haven't done it already, you're going to be out of time, and you'll have to try again next year or later in the week or whatever you want to do. However, corned beef still an option, of course. Stephen, do you have any info? If I could ask you to put Professor Stephen Reichland hat on at this moment, do you have a background or a tale for us as it concerns corned beef and pastrami and perhaps why we um, we eat them all year long, of course, but why we, we would associate these with St. Patrick's Day specifically? Absolutely. Well, first of all, corned beef has an amazing, long, and distinguished history. The first reference to corned beef occurred in a mystical epic poem in the 12th century, back in those days when the beef was cured. And remember, you know, for 99% of human history, there was no refrigeration. So any way to preserve meat, uh, keep it from spoiling, was considered extremely valuable. Well, uh, the early Irish found that if they burned seaweed, they would get uh, a salty, a curing salt, basically, that they could use to uh, 
uh, cure meat, and that was the first corned beef. Our word corned beef comes from barley corn, corn being a grain, like a kernel of barley or kernel of corn, because when the meat was salted, it would be salted with this, what we would call rock salt uh, these days, what they use uh, on icy highways to uh, to keep ice from forming. <coughs> Uh, Ireland was a, a big beef producing uh, country for uh, the English who took over Ireland also in the 12th century. Uh, and uh, the Irish actually didn't eat much beef. Uh, their meat of choice was uh, lamb, but actually they ate very little meat, period, because most of the meat went to England. Uh, Irish corned beef, it was it was cured, it was processed and cured uh, in Ireland, then shipped all over the British Empire from the Raj in India to the colonies in North America, uh, the Falkland Islands in South America. Wherever the English went, uh, they ate Irish corned beef. Uh, over the years, the curing uh, curing salt has gone, let's see, from first from burnt uh, seaweed to uh, saltpeter, that ingredient that is also used for making gunpowder, but it's uh, rich in nitrates, uh, to sodium nitrate, which is what we use today. Corned beef also has a very special uh, place in uh, American uh, history. Abraham Lincoln served it at his inaugural dinner in 1861, and the NASA astronaut... Uh, uh, now, so astronaut actually snuck it on board the Apollo 3 uh, to eat a corned beef sandwich in space. So what's the Irish connection? Well, corned beef originated in Irish, Ireland. Uh, originally, it was made with any tough cut of beef that was cured and canned. Uh, today, of course, we use brisket uh, to make corned beef. Um, so how did it kind of get to America and be associated with the Irish. Well, Irish association is clear. Uh, the potato famine in the late 19th century led to a massive immigration of uh, Irish to uh, America, especially to New York, uh, where they found if the streets weren't paved with gold, at least uh, you could get meat very abundantly and very cheaply. And the Irish uh, turned often to their fellow immigrant Jewish butchers to buy uh, brisket for corning beef. Uh, the Jewish immigrants in turn started curing it Irish style to make corned beef. Today, corned beef is a deli specialty in Jewish style delis, uh, as well as uh, in Irish bars for St. Patrick's Day. So that's the connection. The funny thing is, though, uh, in Ireland, you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody eating corned beef on St. Patrick's Day, and you would never, ever find green beer. What are you finding them eating on St. Patrick's Day, then? Uh, either bacon or lamb. All right. Yeah. So St. Patrick, you know, the patron saint of uh, Ireland, drove out the snakes, among, uh, among other things. Uh, but, you know, it's, I mean, it's really, it's, it's, it's a fascinating story because it shows how one food travels from one country to uh, to another country, old world to new world, uh, acquires cultural baggage, acquires stories, cultural associations as it goes along. And pastrami has an even more amazing uh, story. And I don't know how we're doing time-wise. Oh, do, plenty of time. Do we have time for a pastrami story? Absolutely. Okay, great. Uh, any rate, uh, many years ago, I was in Istanbul, Turkey, uh, researching, uh, doing research for the book that became the Barbecue Bible that 
launched my career, certainly. And at a spice and meat market in uh, Istanbul, I saw these sort of giant arm length strips of, I didn't know what it was. It was kind of, uh, I guess it was meat crusted with spices hanging from the rafters, curing. I asked, what was it? Uh, they cut me a slice and it was uh, very salty and very spicy and a little bit garlicky. And I asked, what is it? And they said, it's basturma. Basturma. Well, basturma turns out to be a popular cured meat throughout Turkey and the uh, Middle East, where it can be made uh, with camel, it can be made with goat. Uh, at the height of the Ottoman Empire, where the Turks pushed as far west as uh, uh, Vienna uh, and took over all of Eastern Europe, they brought basturma to countries like Romania. Uh, where the local Jewish population really got into it, added the garlic, because after all, that was Romania. Uh, at that point, it was called pastroma or pastrama. Uh, the B had changed to a P. And the uh, Romanian Jewish immigrants who left Romania brought basturma to the Lower East Side, New York, uh, where the name changed again and it became pastrami. So what's the difference? Both corned beef and pastrami are brine cured with sodium nitrite to turn it that luscious, lurid pink, give it that rich umami flavor and the kind of iridescent sheen. Uh, corned beef is then typically boiled and sliced and served either hot or cold. Uh, pastrami is crusted with spices, smoked, so it's actually cooked a second time uh, after boiling, and then it's steamed to tenderize it, and then it's served either hot or cold. And I tell you, I just had dinner, but I'm getting hungry talking about all this stuff. No doubt about it. And we thank you for the history lesson on both corned beef and pastrami. So the obvious question is, if we were both in the city behind me here at my fake landscape, we went to Katz's Deli. Are you getting corned beef sandwich or are you getting a pastrami sandwich? You're getting both. And you can even sit at the table where Meg Ryan did the uh, that infamous uh, orgasm. Scene. Yes. Apparently, people do that all the time. I was going to say, the way, like, does I that go, happen? I, yeah, yeah, yeah. It really does. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I go into all this in uh, my last book. It was called The Brisket Chronicles, which came out, gosh, seems like a million years ago, pre-COVID, certainly. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, brisket's one of those meats that, God, you could tell the whole story of humanity uh, just through brisket. Could one make a claim if real pastrami is smoked, um, even though you're boiling it and uh, maybe steaming it for a, for a reheat or to finish cooking, depending on how you're doing it, but could one make an argument that Katz's Deli is the longest continuously running barbecue restaurant in the country? Yes, very much. Uh, there's a sort of debate as to who first, uh, first served pastrami. Uh, I don't remember the gentleman's name offhand, but it was a Romanian immigrant who uh, stored some luggage with a butcher friend of his and to thank him, uh, supposedly gave him the recipe for pastrami. This butcher uh, actually created pastrami. And then he realized he needed a brand new dining venue to serve it. So he created the delicatessen. <laughs> and there are three or four early families that kind of claim parentage. Um, of uh, pastrami cats as being one of them. Do you have a particular favorite recipe for one or the other or both? 
Well, brisket chronicles, you know, uh, those are my favorite recipes for corned beef and for curing your own, uh, curing your own corned beef and smoking your own pastrami. I also love the uh, Montreal version, which is called smoked meat. Even in France, they call it the smoked meat. A uh, couple of key differences between pastrami and smoked meat. The flavorings are a little bit different. The uh, the carve is uh, different, but uh, that's pretty fabulous. Corned beef and cabbage. Uh, Gonna have a great recipe for that, and sort of the secret is at the end you take that wonderful broth flavored with the corned beef and the cabbage, and you whip some butter into it, and then you pour that over the uh, cabbage and corned beef. Pretty amazing. From a brisket, when you're just starting out in this whole you know curing process, do you want to do a whole brisket, or is it preferred with flat or point? For kif- for um, uh, corned beef, uh, it, typically people use the flat. And for pastrami, uh, sometimes people do uh, the whole brisket and the point becomes the fatty pastrami and the flat becomes the lean pastrami. Stephen Reichland joining us here. By the way, if you have have anybody from Baltimore listening, I got to give a shout out to uh, Atman Steli on Lombard Street in Baltimore. Uh, I think they have the finest corned beef in the world. All right. In all the world and the land. How about that from Stephen Reichland? So, um Go get the uh, Brisket Chronicles if you didn't get that already. And, uh, you know, obviously plenty of other uh, brisket-laden recipe stories and so forth. But if you haven't gotten that book already, go ahead and add that to the Stephen Reichlin Arsenal that you're collecting at your house. Uh, anything else from a, a St. Patrick's Day that we should be mentioning or, or talking about? Are you somebody that would actively celebrate a St. Patrick's Day if you, we were under normal circumstances? Uh, well, that's not really my ethnic background, but I, you know, raise a, I'd like to raise a glass of Guinness to uh, everybody who is selling, celebrating St. Patrick's Day. Uh, it makes me think actually of a recipe in, uh, I believe it's in Project Fire and it's, no, it's in man-made meals as a matter of fact. And they are beer brisket, uh, beer brownies that are made with Guinness stout. So maybe that's your, that's your uh, dessert. What we did with uh, in Project Fire uh, one year is we took the beer brownies and then we made s'mores with them. Uh, on uh, well, we started doing it on a salt uh, a uh, salt slab, but that exploded because it was so cold out. When we opened the grill lid, so uh, instead we did it on uh, cedar plank. There you go. Those little backstories to uh, to to the taping of uh, TV. Yeah, appreciate the insight on that. Of course, we always love the pulling of the curtain so we can see what's happening uh, in production and so forth. Uh, one of the other things I wanted to ask you about, or kind of get those continuing monthly updates, is Barbecue University. Uh, very popular. I've talked to a number of folks that have attended over the course of the year. Some of the folks I talked to have gone multiple times. Uh, what are we looking at at this point in March? Yeah, yeah. So, Barbecue University uh, will take place over the Father's Day weekend in June. I think June seventeenth to twentieth. Uh, we have a new home for the school. Um, actually, we did it last year, but we're returning this year. It's uh, called Montage Palmetto Bluff in Bluffton, South Carolina. So, in the heart of uh, the Carolina Low Country, it's on the May River. Absolutely stunning location. And I always try and tailor, you know, the barbecue universities to uh, the locales where I'm teaching. So here, low country seafood will play a big role. Uh, You know, we've got 30 or 40 grills and smokers will be firing up. It's super fun. And you can get information on that on my website, barbecuebible.com. 
Uh, is there any info going on with Project Fire 3 that you can pass along? Yeah, Project Fire 3 will actually be launching uh, the third week of April on public television. Uh, we are about, we are through about uh, half the shows when I say through. We taped back in September at a socially distanced and COVID safe set. So you'll see the, all the crew wearing masks. Um, we, uh, so, you know, it takes about, well, it takes about a half a day to make a 30 minute show uh, on a good day. And it takes about two weeks to edit that material down to uh, to a 30-minute show. Oh. And in that process, I'm reviewing footage. I do voiceovers. I actually do them right here at this desk. Um, we edit, we shorten, we tweak. Uh, and the uh, and then the after we, we have what's called a final cut of the show, it goes to Maryland Public Television where they do sound correction and color correction. So... You know, if this list looks a little washed out when you see it on your TV set, it'll be bright, vivid colors, and that's what those guys do. All right, so uh, we'll be looking forward to that uh, coming really in just uh, a few short weeks, uh, more or less than that. Couple months, yeah, yeah, yeah public uh, months, public yeah. television. So we'll be on the lookout for Project Fire Three. Oh uh, my gosh, I'm sorry, I thought you were talking about Barbecue University. You are right. Project Fire Season Three is month away. Yeah. Gosh, that's right. So, uh, are you already contracted to a season four, or are we not that far down the road yet? Well, we're doing planning for it. Uh, oh. You know, we like to get one show sort of out before we uh, start thinking about the next. But you know me; I've always got sixteen projects going on at once, and uh, and so uh, we we're definitely thinking about season four. Stephen, one of the blog posts that was on most recently was the eight recipes to grill or smoke in March. And I love when you put these out. So as I was scanning through a couple of these, I wanted to ask you about them. Uh, number two on the list was smoked shrimp corn chowder. And, Ooh, you yeah, know, baby. I'm not, I'm a huge soup guy, but I don't make a lot of soup because like, I guess it's like a lot of things with me. I like a lot of things, but it's just like not on the top of my mind. So I'm not thinking about during the day. Oh, I got to make a chowder, but I really love chowder. I like New England clam chowder. I like the red and the white. I like a whole bunch of other different kinds of soup. Uh, tell me about the smoked shrimp corn chowder, because this one looks really good. Yeah, well, this was something I developed for uh, the book and the Project Smoke uh, book and TV show. And, um, y you know, the idea is, okay, March in like a lion out like a lamb. It's cold in a lot of places in the country. It's, uh, it snows in March, you know, down here in Florida, it even got down into the fifties a couple of days in March, which for us is a deep freeze. Brutal. Um, yeah. So, uh, a soup, you know, a chowder, how welcome you, what you do is you smoke the corn, you smoke the shrimp, cut the kernels off the corn cobs and use those to make a chowder. Super simple, super easy, and just unbelievably delicious. Is that a chicken broth base kind of a soup then? You can go chicken broth, uh, which most people have, or you can use clam juice, you know, for a, um, or even vegetable broth. One of the other items was Canadian bacon. And yeah. to me, Canadian bacon, can't believe I'm going to say this, is the uh, meat on a egg McMuffin when I was growing up as a youth was this Canadian bacon, but never really made it on my own. I thought about doing it any number of times, but what's your recipe entail? 
Uh, well, you start with a pork loin. So obviously you're talking about a piece of meat that is much loiner than a, uh, leaner than a pork uh, belly. Um, it's cured in a way very similar to a ham. Uh, and uh, that is with uh, salt, sugar, and uh, sodium nitrite. Uh, and then it's smoked. And I really love it because, you know, it's you can eat it, uh, you, you, you can pan fry slices, you can eat it on a homemade version of an you know, egg McMuffin, whatever that would be. You can slice it and eat it like cold ham. Um, it's, it's really uh, terrific. The last one I wanted to ask you about is the Tuscan grilled polenta and vegetable platter. Certainly we can use our imagination with vegetable platter, but for the folks that maybe haven't broached the polenta bridge ever, or perhaps it's been a while, uh, tell us a little bit about polenta and how you want to buy it and then grill it. Sure. Well, polenta is uh, basically Italian cornmeal mush. Uh, it comes made with white corn. It comes made with yellow corn. Uh, in the old days, you know, it would take a grandmother standing over a pot for 45 minutes, uh, boiling this thick, scalding napalm-like substance to cook the uh, polenta down until it was thick enough to uh, to hold together. And then you'd turn it out onto a baking sheet, um, let it cool, cut it into squares or circles, and grill it. Today, you can actually buy polenta already cooked ahead of time. It comes in a tube, almost like a cookie dough tube. Cut it into slices, uh, brush it with oil. It's great for grilling, even better for cooking on a plancha. Um, and is the, is the polenta in a tube quite as good as what an Italian grandmother would make? No. But is it, once you grill it, is it pretty fabulous, especially if you top it with grilled mushrooms or grilled vegetables? Yeah, it's pretty awesome. By the way, if polenta sounds too esoteric, if you like grits, you can cook grits really thick, spread the grits on an oiled baking sheet, let it cool, cut it into shapes, and grill it. That is awesome, too. Well, I would tell you, uh, and I'm, you know, you know me and my broad or lack of, uh, broad food palette. I eat polenta on the regular. I grill it. I eat it just as, you know, just kind of soupy or that kind of thick soup as you were mentioning yeah. uh, before you would cool it. So I, I love it in all different ways. So definitely give that a try. You can get the recipes over barbecuebible.com and you can see Stephen Reichlin right here on the third Tuesday of every month. Stephen, always appreciate the time. Thanks so much for doing it. Thank you so much. You do a great job. Uh, it's, uh, I look forward to this show every month. So thank you. All right. Bye, everybody. Thanks, Stephen. There he is, Stephen Reichland, right there, coming in every month as he does, saying that he looks forward to it. Good for, for Wait a second. No, good for me. Thank you. BarbecueBible.com, things you need to be cooking in March. Look at that one. The polenta, if you've never tried polenta, come on. I don't know if it's because I have a smattering of Italian in me and I'm just drawn to it. I don't know, but I'm here to tell you, if you haven't had it, you're in for it in a good way. Cosmo from Cosmos Q will be joining me in just a few short moments. Plenty to talk about with Cosmo. Everybody loves Cosmo. Everybody in the instant chat, ready to talk to Cosmo, so we'll wait on him. I'll talk to you quickly about Primo Cookers, the website, of course, singular, Primo Cooker. I'm sorry, PrimoGrill.com. It's an oval shape, so you know all the other ceramic cookers out there? They're round. Well, the Primo is oval. What does that allow you to do? True two-zone cook. 
So you can push the coals over on the right side. You can have an empty fire position on the left side. So if you want to go indirect, you can do that. If you want to put the meat directly over the coals, you can do that as well. People try and do that with the round ones. Let's be honest. It doesn't really execute that well. But the oval shape of the Primo, which is patented, by the way, does allow for the true two-zone cooking. More than 60 configurations right now going on with that Primo cooker. It's made in the USA. It's got precision-controlled manufacturing, high-quality ceramics, the highest-quality ceramics you can get in a ceramic cooker these days. They have the new Easy Lift Hinge, reducing the force to lift the grill head by 70%. So now you don't have to be a big muscle head like me. And in order to get that thing open, you just use like two fingers. Whoop. 70% less. Come on. You can get all these upgrade kits wherever you shop for your Primo cookers. They have a dealer network that you can visit. Go to primogrill.com. Find a dealer near you. You can also visit them at Primo Ceramic Grill on Instagram and Primo Ceramic Grills on Facebook. Join the groups and see why the oval shape is the way to go. Now, look, if you can't get it out of your own way and wrap your head around the fact what an oval ceramic will look like and you have to get a round one, fine. They have you covered there, too. They make a Primo round one. But come on, break the mold. Don't break the cooker. Break the mold. Primogrill.com. And we are back with Cosmo from Cosmo's Q right after this. Stick around. Be right back. Howard Stern, Jim Rome, Dan Patrick, and Greg Rampey. The Mountain Rushmore of talk show entertainment. Now, let's get back to the Barbecue Central Show. This portion of the show being brought to you by CookinPellets.com, your number one source for quality wood pellets for all your pellet-driven cookers. You can visit CookinPellets.com for more information or to purchase. You can also go to Amazon.com and purchase there as well. Whatever you like. Hey, my next guest creates some of the most popular rub sauces, marinades, injections, and soaks on the market today. He's also a barbecue competitor, world championship steak cook underneath the belt too. We race back to the hotline and welcome friend of the show, Cosmo from Cosmo's Q. Hey, Cosmo. Hey, what's up, brother? How are you, man? I am pumped and ready to have you back. Looking forward to the conversation here this evening. So, you know, before we get into 2021 talk, we had you on towards the end of last year. No reason to cry that you're back on the show. We're just happy to have you here for sure. Um, how, how did uh, 2020 end up for you guys? I mean, I know a lot of folks that were in the... It seemed like even the, the restaurant folks did pretty good if they could make the pivot, but charcoal and grill manufacturers and anything ancillary to that regard seemed to be doing uh, perhaps better than they ever have, or at least in recent memory. So how did Cosmos Q as yeah. a business finish up? Uh, well, we, we finished up pretty well. Um, it, it was, you know, we, we it was kind of the, like the perfect storm. We were ramping up our team in 2019 uh, to get ready for 2020, not knowing what was about to take place. And, oh, my goodness, man, it hit us like a freight train in a great way. Um, you know, it, it, you kind of feel a little bit guilty when your business is doing well and you see others hurting. Um, but you know, sometimes, you know, you this is why gotta, they call it business roll. though, right? Yeah, that's why they call it business. Yeah. You know, it is what it is, man. It is what it is. But yeah, we finished up really well. Um, 
it's uh it's looking like 2021 is going to be the year that uh yeah we we set records um that i am unaware of anybody in this industry outside of the the mega corporations uh setting so what does that mean uh, are you are you are you poking for a dollar? <laughs> I, I'm not, but I mean you're broaching the subject, so I'm just want. I mean, you know, I'm just wondering uh, what that well, means. I'll, I'll put it to you this way: this year we'll probably do in the neighborhood of about uh, 220 to 230 thousand orders. You're kidding? No, holy moly! And that's no. coming in from all over. That's that. Those are global orders, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 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 everywhere. Wow. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, uh, you know, as you turn into twenty twenty one, I I think the last time we were talking, you you you've grown like seven hundred percent year over year ever since you got into this thing. Or you know, it was it was, a, it was a very impressive growth number year over year. So you're obviously not seeing any potential flattening, and that's what we call it in the business world when you've had a really good run of business. Like when I was uh, when I'm selling trucks for Peterbilt two years ago, it was. Uh-huh. The likes you've never seen. The worst sales guy was easily into six figures and just you know pointing and shooting and, and killing it. And then there was talk at the end of the year about flattening. So it's not a down year, but it's more of a return to normal. And from what I'm getting from you, that's uh, definitely not happening. You're you're on the uh, the incline uh, from taking off at the airport almost. Yep. Yep. Wow. Yeah, we're we're on the incline and. Uh uh, hopefully it just continues to keep climbing. Like, how do you forecast for that? I mean, if you're having years that are just really good business wise, I mean, you want to um, be conservative to some degree, but you also want to a lot for growth. I mean, you know what you've done year over year, but when you see years like this, I mean, it has to be hard to figure out which way to plot. Well, it, it is hard, it, you know, and, and I'm glad you, you know, brought that up. We have, uh, I like to call it our uh, quarter million dollar badass spreadsheet that we have all the physics and all the hoopla worked into it. So w- what we do is we take trailing data and then we just kind of, you know, it's it's just a you know best guess. But we work closely with our suppliers. So they always have a product on hand. So if we get into a bind, we can pull it up our next order and uh, continue to go from there. Have you heard any rumblings about component issues or running out of plastic or resins or anything like this? Well, funny you say that because, uh, yeah, we did. But so, like I said, in 2019, it happened to us in 2019. We ran out of shakers. So I committed to way more shakers uh, the next year, so we didn't run out, not thinking that they would actually hold me to it. Well, we almost ran out again. Wow. So, um, yeah. But, you know, hey, it worked out. You know, sometimes you're the windshield, sometimes you're the bug. Yeah. Seems like you're. Uh, so, what's the good one? I guess you're the windshield at this point. So, uh, you yeah, know, things yeah, keep it, rolling. Cosmosq.com, the website, uh, if you haven't been there, K O S M O S, Cosmosq. Dot com. So let's talk a little bit about a product that I saw on the website as I was perusing, Wing Dust. And I think I might be the biggest chicken wing fan out there. I'm sure you can use it on a variety of other things, but it's called Wing Dust. So let's stay with the Wing Dust. Uh, when you come up with this and 
how do you bring it to market? Is it one flavor of wing dust or do you already have stuff tucked in the backlog ready to roll out if like the first couple are good? So no, we do have some wing dust. When we first came out with it, it was, uh, um, there were some people out there doing wing seasonings, but I was like, man, if we could just get it into a powder form, that way <clears throat> you can cook the wings naked. And if, if, if there's five people at your party and all five want a different flavor, they can season them up exactly like they want them. And it would, and, and my thought was, is you wouldn't lose any flavor if you, you know, the, the dust versus a sauce. Hmm. Does that make sense? Well, so that was going to be my question. Well, first, the, the first question was, as you go through the flavorings and there's a host of them, a lot of them would seem to mimic a sauce. For instance, there's Buffalo hot, there's Buffalo regular, there's yeah. garlic parm, the list goes uh -huh. on. So things that you would easily assimilate with a sauce that you'd get at the local wing joint or do at your own house. However, the one that caught my eye right off the bat and one that I don't associate with a sauce, but I do with a chip, is salt and vinegar. So where <laughs> who came up with that one? Because the more I thought about it, I was like, man, there is no way that salt and vinegar wing dust wouldn't be good on a chicken. It is phenomenal. Yeah. Absolutely. I can't even explain to you how good it is. And I'll take it even a step further. If you want to get some French fries going with them wings. Yes. Hit them French fries with that salt and vinegar, <laughs> yes. man. Holy Dude, I'm going to tell you right now, that's life. And, and it just so happens that is <clears throat> Our number one seller, uh, backed up to um, uh, garlic parmesan. Wow! So you would use these in place of a sauce? Yes, yeah. And and the great thing is, is you know we're finding out because you know our fans out there they take pictures, they post them, they tag us on social media, and somebody's like, "Oh my gosh, did you try this on popcorn? Oh my gosh, did you try this on grilled vegetables? Oh my gosh, did you try this in a stew?" And I'm like, oh my, like, I, you're, it just wraps your head in, in a completely different way. They are virtually good on anything that you think that flavor would be good on. I had a friend take the garlic Parmesan and he took some biscuits and cut them in half and made some bread knots, cooked them halfway, pulled them out, brushed them with butter, and then uh, hit them with that uh, garlic Parmesan powder. The best wings, uh, the best uh, garlic knots, I've ever had in my life, period, hands down. It's funny that you're a manufacturer, and I'm not saying that you're in a box, but when you're devising a product, you're focused on how you think you're going to bring it to market and what niche this is yeah. going to serve, and then it's released, and everybody else gets their hands on it, and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's great and all, but all of a sudden, yeah. they're, they're bringing you back 30 and 40 different things, and it's, it's blowing your mind. It's really got to make you feel good that you're bringing a product to market that isn't only serving the niche that you wanted it to, but it's covering a, a vast landscape. Yeah, and one that shocked me the, the most, I actually did a video on this uh, YouTube channel. Uh, it's probably been four years ago. I've remade it once or twice since then, um, but I, as a joke, you know, for YouTube, because it's all about the, you know, the, the wow factor, uh, I did ghost pepper ribs. And I cooked the ribs, and I think I just used Dirty Bird on them. But when I pulled them off, I hammered them with our ghost pepper wing dust. And 
put uh, blue cheese on them. Really? I'm going to tell you right now. Dude, me and my boy Matt at the shop punched a rack down like we just got out of prison. <laughs> it's phenomenal. So, I mean, I, I associate ghost pepper with melting my face off. So, I mean, were you, are you able to dial it back or are you just taking a punch to the face? No, no, you're not taking a punch to the face. And the great thing is you can put on as much or as little as you want. But what we always try to do is, is to, try to, to try to capture the flavor of the pepper without all the heat coming up behind it. And if you've ever tasted ghost pepper, ghost pepper is phenomenal. It is perfect. I actually it in chip stew, on ribs. Uh, you can add it to any of your, if, if you have like your favorite rub at the house and you just go, man, I wish I had that had a little bit more kick. Put you a teaspoon of that or, or, or that ghost pepper in there. And man, it brings it, it brings the flavor right to it. Uh, new products for 2021. Do you have anything in the hopper or are you just rolling with what you got? We no, we do got a couple. We have uh, five new rubs uh, that should be released wow. in probably a month or two. Uh, we, I just finished up. Uh, I say just finished up. It was about two months ago. Our uh, raspberry chipotle barbecue sauce, and we are in the process of testing. Um, now, now I'm not saying these will make it to market because if they don't, if they don't get the flavor that I want, that they'll just—I mean, they just don't go to market. Hmm. Um, a new Asian wing dust oh. and a new uh, ranch wing dust. So that's funny that you said Asian wing dust because I was reading all these flavors off to my wife yesterday, and she thought I said. Uh, I don't know if she thought I said like uh, I think she thought I said Asian. So I forget exactly what it was. I was like, no, 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 no. It's blah blah blah. And she's like, oh. But now I might be able to, you know, get a little action going here because Cosmo's bringing Asian wing dust to the table here. So, uh, I'm, that, so that's a definite, right? Well, it, 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 provided I can get the flavor that yeah. I want, yeah. it's. It's weird that I, I explain to people like how I come up with recipes. If you can imagine, I I imagine what I think it should taste like, and then I work towards that. If that makes any sense, is, is that just a process that you've come to master? No, actually, that's something I was born with. That's why I really cannot stand going to fancy restaurants because when I hear, "Oh, we're going to do a," Uh, you know, uh, shrimp or a seafood linguine. I immediately think this is what it, if I was making it, this is what it would taste like. Uh And, you know, nine times out of 10, they get pretty close. uh, But every once in a while, I just have one or two that just knocks it out of the park. Hmm. All right. So we'll be on the lookout for those new products, assuming they pass the flavor test and, uh, eventually roll out to market. Do you uh, do you sh- do you have your own manufacturing for like rubs and sauces, or do you partner with somebody? No, we partner. We have uh, uh, one, two, three, four, five. We have five co-packers currently. Oh, wait. six! Wow, six. Yeah, is that the, the I, fear I, of I, eggs I in one basket? Yeah, yeah. Don't ever put all your eggs in one basket, man. No doubt. <laughs> 
Uh, Cosmo joining us here from Cosmos Q, CosmosQ.com, the website. You know, in a uh, at least a recent YouTube video that I saw, uh, you made a reference as it related to sous vide. I'm paraphrasing here. A lot of restaurants that you eat at already get their food done like this. And I yeah. was like, baffled? So the reporter in me asks you this question. How do you know that to be true? I've been told that. <laughs> I've been told that by chefs. They're getting it now, uh, I'll, like I'll, cooked to a certain temperature yeah, and then so, they'll finish so, it. Yeah, so and, and you and you got to ask yourself like how can one restaurant on the East Coast uh also in Oklahoma City, also in California put out the exact same steak every single time. There's just way too many variables when you rely on somebody to cook it. Way too many. Now, don't get me wrong. You're higher in, you know, places. A lot of them guys will cook their own steak. Hence, you go there one time, it's good. You go there another time, it's probably not so good. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, when I found that out, I about shit little green apples. Because I was like, <laughs> but... But it, it, it kind of makes sense, though, you know, because if you're hiring somebody that, you know, doesn't cook, you know, a hundred steaks a day, like how to you, you got to have a process in place with a timer, you know. <laughs> Cosmo, let me ask you this uh, before I let you go tonight. This past weekend, SCA held their world championships in Fort Worth. You're no stranger to winning an SCA World Championship as you uh, took down number two of the uh, SCA World Championships in their existence. Uh, this was year number seven this past weekend. When you look uh -huh. back on that weekend, like what do you remember most? I mean, certainly I'm sure the wind ranks right up there, but what do you remember otherwise? Yeah, the wind. It was windy, but I tell you what, man, it that sport has grown so much. I didn't realize... It's been two years since we cooked the world championship. They didn't have it last year. It wasn't. I mean, they had to cancel it because of COVID. Um, and I was just blown away by how big it has gotten. And also, they didn't even have all the teams. They, I, I don't think any of the international teams got to come over. And there's something like, I think somebody told me 100 or 200 of them. Oh, wow. So, I mean, it would have been exponentially larger um, but the sport is alive and well and growing, and uh, they some some things have changed that I wasn't aware about uh, until I was almost done cooking my steak, and in my forty five minute window, I somehow managed to be, I believe, the last one to turn in, running my little chunky butt all the way up there. <laughs> so, is it? Do you do you still want to be like what is it middle middle of the turn in for stuff like that? Is that strategy I, or I first like, or? I like to be at the end of the turn in. Yeah. Window. That way, you know, if I if I'm swinging for the fence, which you know anybody that you know knows me, usually I'm bringing something brand new that has never been on, you know, never been cooked with. So I like I just want to leave that. I just want to just stop them in their tracks and give them that. What the heck was that? Obviously, that didn't happen this weekend, but, you know, hey, we had a blast there, man. Great people. When you won the world championship, when you compared that, because, you know, I guess for the folks that would know, I mean, you're also a very successful competition barbecue cook. 
Where does that world championship stack up against any of the other competition wins? Is that your biggest food sport win, do you think? Um, yeah. Yeah, that, 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 I mean, obviously, it's a world championship, so that's, you know, that's always something you can hang your hat on for the rest of your life. Uh, so, yeah, I would say that, that that would be my staple. Although a lot of – I mean, I, I, I was in barbecue, you know, for years yes. and years and years. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that ranks up there. I Probably uh, the year that I was at the Jack Daniel and came in, I think it was 10th, 10th overall in the world, that was, that was pretty big too. Cosmo joining us here from Cosmos Q, the website CosmosQ.com. Be on the lookout for all the great flavors, and uh, we're going to do it again here before too long. Cosmo, always appreciate the time. Thanks for coming on. Hey, you bet. Thank you, brother. You got it. There he is. Cosmo from Cosmos Q. Get over there if you haven't checked out the website yet, but most of you are huge fans already, and you know what time it is. So get on over. All right. That is Cosmo. TNS Barbecue was saying the rib glazes are great on everything. You don't have to say it. Uh, I'm right. You get guys that are rub guys, sauce guys, seasoning guys, and and gals, and they're thinking, hey, this is how I. This is how I see it working in the market. I'm going to serve that niche. And then everybody else gets their hands on it. And they're if they like it on one thing, I mean, you can just guarantee that it's going to start going on two or three different similar tasting items or similar proteins. And then all of a sudden, you might have a mega hit on your hand that's just a across-the-board winner. We thank Cosmo. Again, CosmosQ.com, the website, and we will take a quick break and then wrap up the first hour. Stick around. We'll be right back. Happy to have you aboard here for the really big barbecue show. Boing. We cook because we have to, and we grill because we want to. Hit me! Fine, how you doing? <laughs> you have a great show, I'm a big fan. Continuing to produce incredibly mediocre content in an exceptionally professional way. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Craig Rampey. That was bizarre whole second hour intro just dropped in on me like that apologize for that anyway we thank cosmo for joining me last segment we also thank Stephen reichland for joining us the segment before that barbecuebible.com is steven's website and cosmosq.com k-o-s-m-o-s the letter q and that's cosmos with a k as i said k-o-s-m-o-s I'm going to take part in the salt and vinegar wing dust because I'm a big smoke-roasted chicken wing guy. I would venture to say that my homemade Anchor Bar wing sauce from the Anchor Bar's recipe originally 
goes exceptionally well with the smoke roasted wings, the whole wings. Cut the tips off, but I keep the drum and the flat together. Just a little slice near the knuckle there to spread them out a little bit. Then away we go. Use the Green Mountain Grill, 350 degrees, 375 degrees smoke roast. All right. Uh, refresh libations, and we'll be back with the second hour. Stick around.